The title of today's message is A Worthy Life. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in first, or excuse me, just Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 9. I was looking back uh, through my files this last week and saw that since I've came here as pastor in 2014, that we've done sermon series preaching through um, the Gospel of John, the Epistles of Romans, James, Ephesians, Philippians. And the last two, Philippians and Ephesians, are two out of the four prison epistles or, or uh, letters that Paul wrote churches while he was under arrest in Rome. The other letter is Philemon and the letter that we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks, which is the book of Colossians. And when I was planning this out, I like to try to put myself in the, um, in the position of Paul as he was writing these um, truths down. And I could imagine him sitting in his rented home, chained to a Roman guard, and dictating this to a scribe, that he was under arrest. He's, he's essentially, un, he's under house arrest, chained to this soldier. Um, if there's any inkling of him trying to escape, the soldier's going to kill him immediately. And yet he still stubbornly refused to give up his calling on building the church. And if you think about it, the culture that Paul was writing to, he's writing to a very fallen culture. In Rome. This is a culture that believed that the nation Rome was your God and that the emperor was to be worshipped. In fact, that's what Paul was imprisoned for, speaking about Jesus being the only way to God. In addition to emperor worship, the Roman culture supported and encouraged other pagan worship. They used male and female prostitutes in the various temples as part of their pagan worship and would use the children born of these women as a ritual sacrifice. There was widespread drug and alcohol use. Yes, even in ancient Rome, they had a lot of drug use. Rome was not a kind government even to its citizens. They brutally suppressed any uprising at all. You did not have any freedom of speech or assembly. You did not have freedom of the press, definitely didn't have freedom of religion, and you didn't have the right to bear arms even as Roman citizens, unless you were a former person that uh, served as a centurion. I bring this background about the world that Paul is writing to, because sometimes I think we, th we have it in the back of our minds that the words that we find in Scripture may have had meaning for them, but not really for our modern women, or modern world, excuse me. It's known as chronological snobbery, that we in the 21st century are far more advanced than they were in the times of the Bible. That somehow we've become more moral, more awake, more um, ready to, to be kinder to each other, and all that kind of thing than they were in the Bible days. But I think if you were really honest with yourselves, if you watch TV and the news or, or read a paper, for any amount of time, you'll see that not a lot has changed since Paul wrote this letter. We still have pagan worship today. If you don't believe me, you didn't see the Grammys, which is probably a good thing, the show that, that they put on that was essentially Satan worship. We still worship at the altar of sexual sin. 
with porn being readily available. And even in West Central Wisconsin, there is a booming sex trade. Even in the churches, there's a lot of sexual sin that's a naughty secret in many places. Many of the freedoms that were ours since our nation's founding are now being eroded away. We're looking more and more like Rome each and every day. Most notably, probably the biggest one that's under attack right now is our right to keep and bear arms. And, but we shouldn't ignore the thought police that are trying to strip us of our freedom of speech by telling us what we can believe or can say and not say and believe. And if you do say it, they'll do everything they can to destroy you. And I say that just to establish that the people that Paul is writing to here in the book of Colossians, they're not any different than you and me. It's, they have the same world and the same kind of problems. Just because they didn't have iPhones doesn't mean they didn't have these kind of issues going on. The same exact issues are going on today as then. So as we go through this letter in the next several weeks, I want you to resist the thought that this is just a historical dive into an ancient culture that doesn't have any bearing for us today. Because this letter was meant for you and me today in 2023. Now just a little historical background. Colossae as a city does not exist anymore. It was located in what is called, what is today is central Turkey, about nine miles southwest of Laodicea, which again is in central Turkey. It was home to about 25 to 30,000 people, so it was a good sized city for that time. And it had a reputation as being the center of a cult of people who worshipped angels. That was its, its, um, its, the thing it was most famous for. The church in that city was founded by a man named Epiphas, an apostle working under Paul's leadership. It was founded in the late 40s, and Paul writes this letter to the church in the early 50s to clarify things about who Christ is and to avoid having that cult of angels influence a belief in that new church. And in verses 1 through 8, Paul begins his letter to the Colossians by greeting friends and fellow workers like Epaphras, and in verse, in verse 7, before getting into the teaching that he wanted to bring. In Colossians 1, starting in verse 9, it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, that you might have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves." In him who have, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And Father God, now more than ever, we need to hear your word. We need to understand it. We need to incorporate it, to, to eat it, to allow it to descend into our innermost being. To be our spiritual food in a time of spiritual famine. 
Lord God, I ask that you just take this message. Use it to change our hearts, our minds, and our thinking to glorify you, Lord. And to be able to show you to this world that desperately needs you. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, Paul jumps right in in verse 9 and gives us just this huge amount of truth that's very relevant for us living today. In verse 9, he, he asks that God fills us with knowledge, fills us with his will, fills us with spiritual understanding and wisdom. And that's a lot to unpack, so let's begin. What Paul is saying here is that God places the utmost priority that after you come to faith in Jesus, that you be people of the Holy Spirit, intimately connected with God through the Spirit. And that's a lot of what I want to be doing in the next few months, culminating in a guest speaker coming in May that's going to talk about us being filled with the Holy Spirit. But why is being filled with the Holy Spirit so important? Why do we need to have a refocusing of our spiritual lives and the Holy Spirit being first and foremost in our lives? Well, it's because we are Christians. Christians means of Christ. We follow Jesus. He is our example. And you'll note in Jesus' life, he never did a single miracle, never preached a sermon, never called a disciple. Outside of him having, having a discussion with some, temp, some people in the temple when he was 12, he never showed any sign of being used by God. That is, until he visits his cousin John, who baptizes him. And then Matthew 3.16 says that the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove and rested upon him. Now, I want you to note it was a dove. I always wondered why the Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove and the apostles like tongues of fire. And it occurred to me that it is because fire sanitizes. It destroys impurities. It cleanses. It purifies. It sets our hearts ablaze for God. But Jesus' heart was already pure. He was already sinless. He was all ready for God to use him. So God just sent a dove to signify that before all that Jesus did, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit being prepared for ministry. Our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, we were born in revival. We were born in the revival that began at the end of the or the beginning of the 20th century. The Holy Spirit fell upon a woman named Agnes Osmond in a little Bible school in Topeka, Kansas. And she began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave her utterance. And it spread to her, her entire college. And from there, the people started to spread out. And it spread all over the nation until the famous Azusa Street outpouring in Los Angeles centered across the world. That was the birth of our fellowship, the Assemblies of God. But as much as I love the fire of God, what if we had a heart so pure before God, so passionate for the Holy Spirit's presence in our life that the fire wasn't needed so God got to send a dove to us? Anybody here want to be God's dove man? 
I, I want that kind of heart for God. By the way, why did God send a dove? I believe that every word, every jot and tittle in the Bible has meaning. Every single word. So we should ask, why is God sending the dove? Because up until this time, there was a wall of separation between God and humanity. Jesus was coming to destroy that wall. The dove pointed back in history. For the Hebrew people, they would have recognized this. It pointed back into history to Noah's Ark. When the dove symbolized that the wrath of God had ended. That separation that the water created was over. And now his promises were coming true. That's what the dove descended upon Jesus signified. That God was restoring to you and me what Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. That total, complete, and forever spiritual connection with him. Remember, the Bible says God is spirit. And those who approach him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible also says that we are spirits which inhabit physical bodies. Our creative nature is that of a spirit, not this flesh that, that we um, take care of all the time. It's that we are a spirit. And we need to come to terms with that. We need to understand that. And when we get this truth down deep inside our hearts and our spirits, that's when the Holy Spirit, as Paul was saying here, can impart God's will, can impart God's wisdom, can impart God's understanding here. That connection with the Almighty is repaired through Jesus. And we can walk as he did, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And you may ask, well, if I, get, if I become to Jesus, if I, get, if I get filled with the Holy Spirit, does that take away all my problems? No. But you're going to have all the power of heaven to help you with those problems. Oswald Chambers said, when obedient is in the ascendant, in other words, when you make God the most important thing in your life, he will tax the remotest star and the last grain of sand to assist you with all of his almighty power. It reminds me of a small boy who was getting picked on by the biggest bully in his school. It got to the point of the bully saying that after school he was going to meet the, uh, kid, the little boy by the big oak tree and show him who's boss. After school, the bully caught the, the small boy by the oak tree, pushed him up against the tree and said, grabbed him and said, now what are you going to do? The little boy just looked at him, smiled and said, I'm not going to do anything. He is. And around the tree came the boy's big brother, starting defensive tackle on the high school's football team, who showed the bully the consequence of meshing with his little brother. You see, that's what's available to you and me. We may have problems. We may have bullies in our life, be it spiritual or physical. We may have these issues in our life. But you know what? When the devil attacks you, you just call for your big brother, Jesus. And he will take care of that situation for you. And show him the consequence of messing with his little brother. The next thing that Paul is teaching us today is how to maintain that connection with the Holy Spirit. In verse 10 he said, We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. 
and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Up until recently, we only had one ultrasound machine in the emergency department. We use it to, to do emergency examinations, and the nurses use it to do bladder scans and to start IVs because we can see right where the needle goes right into the vein and it helps us to see on really hard IV starts the people that don't have veins that we can usually find them with the ultrasound and do it. And it's not, it's an old machine, very old machine. Um, it's not bad. It's just big. It's, hard. it's probably as big as this pulpit here. So when you're trying to maneuver it into a room, it's kind of hard to maneuver, and it has a very, very small battery. Maybe five to 10 minutes before it shuts off on battery. And it always shuts off the worst possible time. Usually when you're watching the needle approach the vein is when it'll shut off, and you're like, oh boy. But really, the machine was never meant to be used apart from being plugged into the wall. The battery was just an emergency thing. In case you lost power, you could complete your exam or you could complete your procedure with you know, that five to 10 minutes and not, use it off, and not just use it on battery. You and I are kind of like that machine. Human beings were never meant to run on battery. Our batteries are very, very small, spiritually speaking. We're the spiritual creature connecting with a spiritual God. We're designed to run on a power source, and we call that the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said something very interesting about this in the Gospel of John. In John 16, 7, he said, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I was really thinking about this. I mean, I literally sat there for probably 10, 15 minutes, leaning back in my chair in my office thinking about this. And in my limited human brain, I cannot conceive of a situation that is better with less Jesus. I was like, well, if, if Jesus isn't there, then, then, then what does, you know, that, that, that just didn't compute to me. It almost seems the exact opposite of, of the way we should think. But what Jesus was saying here is twofold. Jesus is saying, you see, I have to leave you. I have to go and take upon myself the sin of the world, that whoever believes in me has their sin wiped off of God's ledger so they will not face his judgment. And the second thing that Jesus is saying here, and, and bear with me just for a second because it's going to sound almost heretical, but it's not, trust me. When Jesus came to this earth and took upon human form, he, being God, chose to self-limit himself a little bit. In other words, all the, the Bible says that all of the divine nature became poured into that, that human body that he took. He had total power, he had total knowledge, but he self-limited his omnipresence a little bit. In other words, he could not exist in multiple places at times while he was in this body. So it's self-limiting, not that God didn't stop being God. He's self-limited. Essentially, what that means 
in order to restore that which was lost by Adam and Eve, the Holy Spirit, who is not limited by a corporeal body, something that has to exist in one spot, has come to fulfill that part of God's plan as Jesus being self-limited by his body could not fulfill. Let me provide an analogy. What I mean by self-limited is that Jesus made a choice to temporarily place limits on his omnipresence. In, in other words, be everywhere at once. It would be like one of us having five gallons of our favorite ice cream available to us in the freezer. Specially formulated to taste the best, best ice cream you'll ever taste, and it won't add a single pound to your body. But you can still self-limit yourself by not having any of it, even though you could have it anytime you want it. You're not limited in your ability to grab that bowl of ice cream. You're just choosing not to at this time. This is kind of how Jesus is during this time in history. He still shares an ultimate power, ultimate knowledge, and for a little while still, he is self-limiting himself in the um, all-present front. However, being part of a triune God, he still has that power available through the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I bring this up because I want you to, to see and understand the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit brings that presence of Jesus into you from being part of the same trinity that Jesus is part of. And if any of this confuses you, see me after service. I know it's, it's, it's a little kind of a, a complex thing to understand. You see, Jesus is saying that by doing what he did, he is giving us a permanent connection to God through the Holy Spirit. And the way that we exercise that connection is through our prayer lives. You've heard me say it before, and I'll keep saying it as long as you have me here. Prayer is our lifeline to God. It's our lifeline to the Holy Spirit filling us, convicting us, making us into the image of Jesus. Prayer is that key. A Christian who doesn't pray is like a car that just sits in the driveway and never gets gas. Or if you have an electric car, um, charging it. It's, if it just sits there and never moves, never does its purpose, it's just a waste of metal. God wants us to be permanently connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be plugged into his spirit so that his power, his knowledge, his will, his love, his light will shine through you to the world he has called us to reach. Finally, in verse 13, it says that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love being an American. I, I consider myself a patriot of this country. I feel blessed by God to be the third generation of my family who, to come and live here. I love that we're supposed to be a constitutional republic that's set up to allow people to live with as much freedom as possible. But when I became a Christian... I understood this is not my ultimate home. 
When I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, my permanent address has changed forever to one in heaven. I'll make sure I give it to you all when I get there. And the thing about heaven is heaven is not a democracy. It's not a constitutional republic. It is not socialist, communist, or capitalist in its economy. Heaven is a kingdom ruled by a king, and his name is Jesus. And this king isn't just a ruler in some faraway land that doesn't even know your name. On the contrary, he knows every hair on your head. He knows every pore in your skin. And however intimate you want to make it, he knows everything about you, every thought, every action, every good and bad thing about you. President Biden doesn't know the name of a single person in this room right now. I'm not speaking against him. I'm just saying he doesn't know who you are. But Jesus knows you the best of anyone ever who ever could. He loves you. He's your only source of redemption. He's the only thing that wipes away your sin before God and makes you acceptable in his sight. Jesus himself said it best. For God so loved the world, he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now look at this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And whether you're listening here live or listening by podcast, we have a, a pretty large podcast the people who listen to the podcast. There's a lot of people out there that listen to it. I just want to tell you, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. If you just surrender to him, ask him to forgive you of all of your sin and trust him for your salvation. He will come and give you this Holy Spirit, this counselor, the helper. The, the Bible has a lot of different names for the Holy Spirit. He will come and enter you, fill you, and not only fill you, but envelop you, empower you to live for Jesus in this world. For those of you who have walked with God for a while, I encourage you, start really seeking God in prayer. I, I shared earlier in the service about the revival in Asbury that's happening. I want to see that revival. Sweep the nation. I want to see people walk into this building and fall under the power of God. Not, not something where people are necessarily waving flags and jumping and running and screaming. I want to see a revival of repentance hit this nation. Seek God in prayer. Seek the Holy Spirit's fire in your life. And learn to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus. Amen.